Hello listeners, you're on 3CR Community Radio 855 on your AM dial. You're here with um, Michaela and we're queering the air on this very wet Sunday afternoon. So 3CR broadcasts from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation owners and custodians of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Hope you're all having a quiet and restful Sunday. Um, These lands and waters were never ceded and colonisation, police brutality, language, land and resource and cultural theft continues to this day. I'd like to acknowledge that I'm a benefit of settler colonialism as a result of genocide of First Nations people on this land. I'd like to recognise and pay my respect to elders past, present and future and any sister girls or brother boys listening in today, as well as... Any other First Nations, queer and trans people from other colonised lands and occupied that are continuing the struggle for Indigenous sovereignty and autonomy over lands, cultures and bodies. So today's theme of uh, Queering the Air is friendship. Um, Starting with my own personal reflection of friendship, um, I'll be reading a poem for my brother, Jess Hanman and also playing a piece recorded in his name. Um, Jess died on April 2nd last year from epilepsy complications um, and it was the first anniversary of his death last Sunday. So, um, yeah, thinking about him a lot. Um, Also today we'll be hearing some of the speeches delivered at the NAM Melbourne launch of Eyes to Dry, which is a graphic memoir by Jessica Tavasoli and Alice Chipkin. The book is about heavy feelings, queer friendship and the therapeutic possibilities of comic making. If you'd like to buy a copy of Eyes to Dry after hearing these beautiful uh, introductions and speeches, you can head online to their website, eyestodry.tumblr.au. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hell. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. Hello folks, Uh, you're on Queering the Air 855 on your AM dial with 3CR Community Radio. Um, So I'm here in the studio and I'm going to start off um, this afternoon with a uh, poem and it's um, titled, Untitled. (laughs) 
I tried to read the last convo we had short and complicated like something from mum which settles quick as milk I'm scooping up and off. Treasure that. What shape is your tongue? Is it and your mouth saying things I'll one day understand? Is your ghost gracious? Do I remember the plans you drew here? By the bed in the red Subaru, above the bike shop in the bar you worked, the court ha- the courtyard of the last house you lived in. I visit these places often, kind of dazed, blow kisses to you. Back to fire, to water, to dirt, eventually, no linear time. Future you, someone you dated as a teenager, the person who sings with me at your funeral, growing to be a sister. Then some dust or ashes which learn to live in particular places. Learning off your lessons, a small jar of maple syrup I send you when I'm overseas, you never open. Which is to say, wishing you into forever, brother star, your light, this huge beam in my pocket. Across every sky, your chuckle. This is Brother West from the American Empire trying to keep alive the legacy of John Coltrane, Curtis Mayfield, Nina Simone, and I am so glad you are listening to 3CR because 3CR is a force for good. It's telling the truth and allows you both to laugh, not at but with others. Oh, what a grand radio station it is. Hi there, folks. You're listening to 3CR Radio 855 on your AM dial or streaming online. We just listened to Bach's prelude off um, the 2016 Little Yara Ensemble album called Wild About Life. Um, And that was a piece that my brother Jess used to play a lot on his trello. Um, So it's nice to play that music and think about him and remember him. Next up, we're going to listen to some beautiful speeches um, from the uh, Nam Melbourne launch of Eyes Too Dry, which is a graphic novel, uh, graphic memoir. Um, and yeah, this this first one is um, the editor of the book, Emma Jensen, um, and her introducing um the what it was like to work with both um, Tava and Alice, so enjoy. And welcome to the launch of the graphic memoir Eyes Too Dry by Alice Chipkin and Jessica Tavazoli. Thank you for being here tonight. My name is Emma and I have had the very good fortune to edit and design this book with Alice and Tava, as well as the blessing to be their friend through the living and then making of the story. My friendship with them began in the classrooms of the University of Melbourne. Alice and I started our postgraduate studies in a subject appropriately called graphic narratives. I remember smiling at her as she sat down and not wanting her to see me watching her while we waited for class to start when she turned to me and said, it's weird that no one's talking, right? This is a sentiment that has characterized my friendship with both Alice and Tava. They have a way of challenging you to turn and address the silence in the room 
and they've sought to do that this in their comic. It is a comic that began as a conversation, as an exchange of illustrations, of letters, of messages and phone calls, and video chats that became sketches of a rough idea and solidified into 28 days of story making. I'm not sure that they'd planned past that. After the first draft, there began an even longer process of helping them refine it into the story you see here. For me, this has meant being on the end of their dynamic duo routine, um, but also making suggestions, answering questions, giving pep talks and reassurances, as well as individual feedback for both their line-by-line -line language, the layout, the choice of images, the relationship between their parts of the story, and the story as a whole, as well as finding a way for the ending to make sense of the beginning. So it starts in the restaurant where Tabba first told her parents she was taking antidepressants. I have found narratively, family interactions work well as a little glimpse into the heart of everything. They show the boundaries that exist between us and the significant people in our lives. And they expose the language we develop to make ourselves understood. And at the heart of Eyes Too Dry, how difficult finding the right language can be with the people who we value the most. Culturally and socially, mental health remains an area of silence, or at least continues to be limited to clinical language. In this comic, Alice and Tava seek to address this by ex exploring their personal and lived experience of suicidal ideation and heaviness on the one hand, and the role of support adopted, given to, taken up by friends or family standing at the edge it is invaluable for the way it gives us access to that simultaneous experience. They lay themselves bare with singular sincerity and the comics form allows them to both show and tell and ease you into a narrative that exists as rewritten memory, careful story, reader experience. It's a form that has required time and patience in its making and it requires time and deliberation in its consumption. Many of you will read this and identify with one or the other of the characters presented to you. Others will read this and gain an understanding of what it is to interrogate why we exist and come up empty, or sometimes not come up at all. And most of us will read this and completely misinterpret what was meant. <laughs> when I showed Tava my favorite page, exclaiming how poignant her friend's comment was, she said, you're reading it wrong. <laughs> It's meant to mean that I said that. <laughs> Sheepishly, I reread it and Tava add, added, yes, you find it poignant. That's because you experienced this. It's a way of answering questions that you've asked. And I have found a great amount of clarity expressed in this work. Any end, any treating, of which there were many, I have found something new to consider or disagree with or tear at my heart. In this process, I've also found a small corner of your utopic dream for comics making. In early March, Alice and Tava had finished the majority of their drawing. The book in its draft stage had gone through multiple edits, passed through multiple hands, had resolved into something unique and precious, and finally, almost tangible. We had set a deadline based on Tava's return to the world of medicine and Alice's estimated energy she could keep pouring into making a comic. 
It was at the final stages, and all that was left was to set the final pages into a document and do the final proofread before we could give it to the printer. I hadn't slept that week, holding myself tense for something to go wrong. And this came in the form of misreading the change in page dimensions two weeks before. <laughs> um, and so having to go back through and reset the 200-something pages again for the third time. Um, and Alice said, just stop. Let me give you a hug. And we hugged on the back streets of Collingwood. My body is still tense for the next thing to go wrong. What do you need, she said. What can I get you? What's your favorite food, your favorite drink? I didn't have an answer for her. I've run out of milk at home, I joked. <laughs> All right, good, I'll be back at yours. And she hugged me again. Half an hour later, she was back at mine with replacement milk and snacks and a bundle of paper to proofread. And we went through each page together. And while I went through it again outside in the sun, she sat inside and finished off admin. At one point, she found me asleep and teased me gently when I came back inside, bleary-eyed. Once Tabor arrived, we went through it again. Lying on my bed, we agreed, we disagreed, ganged up on each other, and made the last decisions of what this book would be. I've never been so glad for their friendship and for comics and for the potential of both these things to do good. Alice and Teva had fed me, housed me, doctored me, nourished me with books, with tubs of farm-grown fruit and vegetable and suspiciously acquired bread. <laughs> they have held me up beyond the confines of this comic and scolded me fiercely into a better shape of a human. And yes, I felt alone at night trying to figure out how to use Photoshop or InDesign. And yes, I got frustrated by all the things we didn't know. And yes, I could have shaken Alice for her inconsistently sized pages. <laughs> or Tava for her complete inability to use apostrophes. <laughs> but here, right now, I am warm with gratitude to them. And so goddamn proud of this thing that they've done. Thank you, Alice and Tava. Mother tough. Hi folks, you're listening to 3CR 855 on your AM dial, Queering the Air. We just had a listen to um, Emma Jensen launching Eyes Too Dry. And we also, uh, listeners, at the moment 3CR has a listener survey. Closes Friday 28th of April. Hop online at 3cr.org.au forward slash survey to do a very important survey. It really helps us... um, and helps community radio and both of those things are important. We'll now go on to uh, Tava's speech at the Eyes to Dry launch. And so although you may see some of my many selves more than others, it feels important to say that I draw no distinction between the me who is sometimes vibrant and the me who is sometimes subdued. The me who is sometimes generous and the me who is other times selfish. I feel myself to be full of potentials, both positive and negative. For so long, my self-worth has been hinged on achievement, on being a certain kind of person who did certain kinds of things. I would and still do feel frustrated when I don't do something I thought I should have or when I feel something like sadness that I think I shouldn't. 
I feel fortunate to have realized that in striving so hard to be a certain type of person, I was judging myself harshly and denying whole parts of myself. I wasn't allowing myself to be honest about who I was and to be honest about where I actually was at. I say all of this to you by means of introducing to you where I stood when in April 2015, levels of sadness I had not yet felt arrived. The first wave began in April. I was on general practice placement and in line with working on unwiring my self-judgment, I tried my best not to panic. But the questions came, why are these feelings here? Is it because I am doing something wrong? I scrutinized my life desperately looking for a cause. And at the time, I was living in a beautiful house with three of the most wonderful people I know, studying medicine, which is not easy, but where I had chosen to be, no crisis, no obvious strife. So I thought if I couldn't locate a why, then at least I should focus on my response. I saw my psychologist regularly, and with my GP, we decided to start some medication. <coughs> For whatever reasons, that initial period of intensity subsided and I continued. The waves were still there, just crashing less hard, pulling me in less, until August. There's a lot I don't remember from this period. When I try to recall it, it's mostly foggy images that stir deep gut feels within me. Lots of tears, slowness, the most heavy lightness, the need to be by myself, to try and sort through this. A bone deep exhaustion, the inability to explain. I think the book goes into this far better than I could now. And what I really want to focus on is how I relate to these experiences, how I try to integrate them into my understanding of my many selves. I don't see myself as having had depression. It is not something that I have overcome. It is not removed from me. I could not tell you when it began or that it's ended. I can describe myself as someone who sometimes tends towards depression. And yes, there have been times when feeling depressed predominated so much so that I couldn't <coughs> feel much else, so much so that I became unwell. But I want to be very clear about this. I say I was unwell not because of the presence of these feelings, but because of their effect on me the way they affected my experience of myself. The best I can put it is that they threatened the intactness of who I saw myself to be. They overwhelmed me. Whilst I knew they would eventually, surely end, just as surely I knew they would arise again. And at that time, I couldn't cope with that. That was the basis of my <coughs> suffering. <laughs> the basis of me being unwell. And so it has been a complex 
and oftentimes surprising process, this trying to unravel the way in which I relate to and interact with my feelings, this questioning of why it is that I hold certain attitudes. I've noticed within myself a tendency to use the presence or absence of certain feelings as a compass to tell me what is right and what is wrong. And in many ways, this is a good model, but it has big pitfalls. Take depression as an example. Within this framework, difficult feelings are often interpreted as a sign that something must be wrong. That is, if you are feeling depressed, you must be doing something wrong, or there's something wrong with you. For so many reasons, this is a dangerous oversimplification. For one, I think that the idea that a person is totally responsible for what they may feel ignores the cultural and political context within which we live. Contexts that have a huge effect and responsibility for the way we feel. Secondly, the presence of feelings that are hard to inhabit does not inherently mean that something is wrong. Yes, it can be challenging and exhausting to feel such things, but while we may learn from them, how we may grow, that can never be predicted. So what is it that makes something good or bad, right or wrong? I see my capacity for compassion as stemming in a very re real way from my experiences with sadness. And whilst I would not wish the intense feelings I encountered on anyone, I am simultaneously so grateful that I did experience them for the insights they have given me. The way I related to it all as it was unfolding <coughs> is different to the way I relate to it now. And I'm sure that this again will change with time. Such is the nature of evaluation and judgment, ongoing, shifting, evolving with the perspectives we gain in time. It feels important for me to say that these ideas are surely not my own. And I have much to thank from two books in particular. Anne Svechkovich, Depression, A Public Feeling, and Eric Cassell's The Nature of Suffering. Thanks for not only articulating things that I could not, but for holding me in the fog. This the unbridled power of a good book <laughs> to pause time and give you ground. You're listening to 3CR Radio. August turned September, turned October, turned November. And somehow I made it through the academic year. Five days after walking out of my last exam, Alice dropped me at the airport for what was meant to be a six-week trip, a breather. Five weeks later, I told her I wouldn't be coming home, not just yet. 
Alice and I had yet to process everything that had unfolded over the past year. The last few months had been spent treading water, waiting for me to have the time and space to begin sorting through the murk more consciously. That time had now arrived, but I was no longer in Melbourne, and it was unclear to me how we would be able to do this work together. In my opening, I said this speech would be about books and the unexpected. And if I haven't done that already for you, I hope I can now. As I trace the impossible <coughs> to have predicted sequence of how it is that Alice and I came to creating this book. Alice and I met on a boozy trip to Byron Bay at the end of year 11. <laughs> Whilst I have mixed feelings about that pilgrimage, <laughs> It was surely worth it for meeting Alice. <laughs> Although I do suspect that had we not crossed paths then, it would have been some other day. We met through a mutual friend and spent a lot of time around the Byron Bay fish and chip shop, on top of which Alice was staying. I remember a connection, and knowing that I had met someone I wanted to spend time with. A lot, if possible. But that would have to wait for year 12 was spent in different, in different cities. Alice lived up in Sydney and I was based down here in Melbourne. The day I found out that we would both be doing gap year programs to Israel, I knew I had to share a room with Alice. <laughs> the challenge would be figuring out how to convince her to join me and two other radical friends <laughs> who were keen on trialing Kupaf, an experiment in pushing the boundaries of friendship by sharing all clothes, belongings, and even spending money. From my memory, Alice was initially hesitant. <laughs> and it was only through tactful conversation that we eventually got her on board although she may remember this differently. <laughs> what followed over those three months was the beginning of a trend in holding each other through moments big and small, growing side by side, challenging and nurturing. Well, if you listen to three, say, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say, oh, I sure know where you are. If you listen to three, say, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say, oh, clap your hands. If you listen to three, say, oh, clap your hands. We'll check out the happening vibe. We're gonna ring up and subscribe. If you listen to three, say, oh, flap your ears. What? Who the hell's that? Flap your ears. What are you talking about? You're listening to 3CR Radio, 855 on your AM dial, clearing the air, Sunday 9th of April, and we've been listening to some uh, speeches from the launch of Eyes Too Dry, a graphic memoir about heavy feelings, queer friendships, by... Jessica Tavasoli and Alice Kinship. We're now going to be listening to Alice Chipkin's um, launch uh, speech. So here it is. 
dry, huh? <laughs> <laughs> How long have I been waiting to tell that joke? <laughs> um, maybe stretch your bodies a little bit, because I have some things I'm going to say. <laughs> On the morning of August 29th last year, after spending a month drawing on Salt Spring Island, I said goodbye to Tava in Canada. In my backpack was the very first incarnation of the book that we're launching tonight. Tava and I had just decided that we would attempt to make the work public. My job was to get it home, scan the hundred or so rough pages, save the file, and begin stage two, sending it off to friends for feedback. First though, I had a full day of travel ahead of me to get to America and then an eight-hour layover in LA. Then my flight home to Melbourne. It's 15 minutes before boarding in Los Angeles. I'm doing a last lap of the airport to stretch my legs. I get to that point where the security screening meets the terminal walkway. In my peripheral vision, I become aware of too many people standing still, a conspicuous physical silence. I take out my headphones, then a sound. When I think back to this moment, I can't unthread it enough. A bang or maybe a metallic clang loud. Someone screams, there's a shooter, run. An instant dispersal of people. I bolt with the crowd. I round the corner and eye the United Airlines lounge. People look up from their newspapers and cups and tiny pastries in confusion. We carry on pouring into the space until there's nowhere left to go, the kitchen. I end up on the far side of the room under an industrial kitchen bench. I get into a ball on the ground. Surrounded by bodies on all sides, someone shouts to barricade the door. The man directly next to me is frantically sending text after text to loved ones. I imagine the news story breaking in Australia and think of the moment when my parents realize that I am inside. I ask to borrow his phone to send one message. Luckily, Lucy Chipkin hasn't changed her mobile phone number in the 25 years that I've been alive. I try to keep the text composed, the only quiver, the I love you at the end. I return to being a ball and try to control my shaking. It's now that I remember the manuscript that I've been entrusted to get home. Instead of praying to a god or whatever else I imagined I'd want to do in a moment like this, all I can think is somebody better find this backpack and Tava, you better finish this bloody book. <laughs> 45 long minutes passed in that kitchen. Eventually, we were evacuated by a squad of armed guards and told to keep running until we'd made it out of the airport. Once there, it was total confusion. Helicopters and sirens everywhere. We got no information about what had or hadn't happened. The automatic voiceover carried on its usual loop. Welcome to Los Angeles International Airport. We hope you have an exceptional experience with us today. <laughs> of the 300 or so flights that got delayed that night, only two got cancelled. Mine was one of them. At midnight, after being in transit for 24 hours and saying goodbye to Tavern on Salt Spring, I made my way to an airport hotel. A day later, I found out there had been no shooter. No gun, no nothing. It was a rumour that no one ever pinpointed the start to. But it hadn't mattered. Within seconds, one of America's biggest airports was brought to a complete three-hour standstill. Then, on the flip side, within seconds of the airport reopening, it was business as usual. Flights began taking off again. People carrying that experience split across the globe. When I got back to Australia, I told a couple of people this story, but I stopped doing that. 
I thought I might write about it, but I gave up on that idea too. It was too intangible. I couldn't figure out the point of retelling it. After all, nothing had really happened. So why then have I begun with this story on our night of nights, the book launch of Eyes to Drive? The first reason, maybe, is to point out how for this book to have ended up in your hands tonight, a series of miracles, big and small, needed to take place. In no uncertain terms, Tava needed to survive the intensity of her depression and suicidal ideation. From there, we needed to follow the train of thought that said me flying across the world to spend a month drawing with her was a logical idea. The voice in our heads that said this work was not worthy or not good enough to be shared had to be ignored. We needed to keep giving the project time when, we got back, when I came back to work and Tava went back to med school. And then again, we had to figure out how the hell to edit, ink, digitally design, print, promote, fund, and distribute this thing. I could go on, but I think you can, can connect the dots. The fact that we actually ended up making this thing is pretty huge for us. But I suspect the other reason why I told you that story of August 29th is that for me, this book is about the kinds of trauma and grief that remain suspended. The ones that don't always have a clear byline or cohere into a linear narrative. The stories where maybe nothing has really happened, only, of course, they have, because they are here, lodged in our bodies. Try telling a body that survives that there is no need to remember. I wonder how many stories like this one people in this room carry but do not tell. What Tav and I have created in Eyes to Dry is a conversation with the small griefs, with our feelings, our bodies, and of course, each other. It's about the traumas of 2015 and 2016 that did and didn't happen. The ones that if looked at in isolation, we might not have bothered to name at all. But because of the people we are, the curious oversharers that we are, we chose to work out loud, first just between the two of us and now in your company. When it came to finishing this book, we flailed. Big thanks to Amy Valletta and Liz McFarlane for gently and correctly suggesting that the narrative wasn't finished when we thought it was. They helped us realize that we needed to walk the reader off the page, but we couldn't figure out how to do that. We must have redrafted the epilogue at least six times, which by the way means we lied to all of you on the possible page. The file was not print ready when we said it was. <laughs> I think the reason we struggled so much with the ending was because it couldn't be too uncomplicated and neat. None of this had been. The message of everything's fine now wouldn't have been a real one. There were parts of this that were unpoetically just fucked. That said, we had to give it a textual conclusion because every book needs a final page. Looking back, this creative process undoubtedly helped me move through the tangle of emotions that came my way and gave us the tools for when we encounter this stuff again in the future. In a practical sense for me, making this book removed the fear from talking about depression and suicidal ideation openly. It's as if we popped the elephant in the room with our pencils. There's still an emotional mess of confetti left lying around, but it feels like we have more space to breathe. Okay, so breathing and language. There are many times in the English language alone when the English language alone just does not cut it. And there are also times when images alone can't do it either. The god of graphic memoir, Alison Bechtel, said that she uses comics <laughs> because if she can triangulate between a visual mode and a worded one, then she might be able to get a little closer to the heart of the thing she's trying to communicate. 
there's so much that gets said in the space between words and images, particularly when the things being explored are murky and unclear themselves, which is why, when it came time to process what had happened over the last couple of years, Tavra and I knew it had to be done in a graphic narrative form. She has always drawn, and drawn beautifully, and I have mainly written, but never drawn. For both of us to use both these forms was a gamble, and one we didn't know if we could pull off. So just as a fun FYI, pretty much every page in this book will have taken us tens of hours to make, and will have been redrawn many times by hand. The same page that will take the human eye a few seconds to glance over. If I could give you my top tip for reading comics, it would be to slow down. You can smash this book out in maybe 45 minutes if you want to. But another way to engage with it as a reader would be to linger with the pages that strike you. The deliberateness of this kind of mark making can leave an emotional charge if you give yourself the space to absorb it. That said, the number one rule of reading comics is that there are no rules to reading comics, so you should probably ignore everything I just said. <laughs> as an aside, we actually brought all of our drafts to the launch tonight. They're sitting on that table over there, so after I'm done speaking, feel free to have a look. There were a number of times, uh, particularly during that month in Canada, when I seriously doubted if my voice in this, the support person voice, was important enough to be intertwined with Tavers and take up narrative space. One morning on the bus, I sat Tava down and I told her that I would be her editor from here on out, but I'd be withdrawing my pages from the final work. Obviously, I lost that argument. <laughs> and I'm grateful that I did, because I think that it is our combined perspectives that make this book what it is. A book focused on relationship and a book that has held our relationship. So now to another kind of relationship, the one between <coughs> arts and financial access. This book didn't get made because of bravery or hard work. There were some very practical access points that enabled this project to begin, continue and be completed. Because whether we want to admit it or not, money plays a huge part in what stories have the chance to be told. To think that the most important voices or the most talented art or writing is what floats to the public surface is a delusion. Diversity has to be consciously amplified. The more we pretend that class and socioeconomic status isn't a gatekeeper to the art space, the worse off we are as a community and as a creative culture. So on that, thank you to my parents, Lucy and Stephen, for being wonderful parents but more specifically, for your generosity in allowing Tavra and I to live in your place in Melbourne for the last three months. It meant in the most practical sense possible that we could afford to devote our spare time to finishing this book. The ability to make that decision in space, energy and time is a huge, huge privilege and one that we are very grateful for. From how to buy an ISBN right through to print margins, the things we did not know we did not know were endless. Actually, on that, if anyone wants to explain how Soul Trader GST works, I'm all ears. <laughs> there are no thank yous in the book itself. That was too daunting a list, and is even now. It feels like we mobilize a small football field of people to help us. We will thank each of you in person, but there are a few people that need to be named in this moment. Don't start clapping after each one, trust me. <laughs> okay, and now to the final bit of my speech the bit where I reveal to you that maybe you thought you had come for a book launch, but actually, Tavra and I have lured you here for the purpose of publicly declaring our love. Because <laughs> here's the thing, straight people, you might have a monopoly on marriage, but we're claiming this moment. <laughs> Two best friends making a show of their love in the queerest of all readings bookstores, celebrating a book about depression. Now that's my kind of way. <laughs> 
Jessica Tabasoli. You are the Patty Smith to my Robert Mapplethorpe. Or maybe the other way around, I haven't decided. You're the quality control to my indiscriminate making stuff happen. The Excel spreadsheet to my social media presence. Working out if you and your friend are compatible traveling partners or housemates or workmates is tricky enough. But add all three at once, well, you have a hell of a mix on your hands. February pushed our relationship pretty hard. We had to begin enforcing fun time. <laughs> I think we're still in the thick of figuring out how to balance those various intimacies. But Tav, I think we've done pretty bloody well. Tav. Estás sintonizando 3CR. 3CR-Broadcast-Over-100-Anthority-Programs-In-25-Languages-Supporting-Communities-And-Viewpoints-That-You-Just-Don't-Hear-About-Anywhere-Else-Subscribe-To-Your-Award-Winning-Multilingual-
There's also the launch of Chi Tran's collection of poetry and prose, I Occupy Space, which is to say I'm always grieving at Incendium Radical Library in Footscray on the 23rd of April from 6 till 9pm. And you can find the invite um, to that one and more details on Facebook by looking for Incendium Radical Library. Um, next up, we are going to play Yo-Yo by Two Steps on the Water. Hi there, folks. You're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Radio 855 on your AM dial. That was the absolutely beautiful Two Steps on the Water with Yo-Yo. We are going to be saying goodbye for now. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. It's been, um, a bit of a heavy hour, um, but I've really enjoyed being here with everyone. And, um, yeah, again, just a plug for Eyes Too Dry. Um, you can buy it online. So Eyes Too Dry, that's E-Y-E-S-T-O-O-D-R-Y dot tumblr dot au i was like trying to work out when i was spelling eyes uh, anyway um have a really beautiful rest of your afternoon and um all the best all the best mm-hmm.